thing. <laughs> My mind's gone blank. What's our series called? <laughs> What's that? If God is good, why does he think What about? Are? That's it, thank you. Trust Paul to fill in the gaps for me. And Elenda's going to tell you what her title is because before I make even more of a mess of it. Over to you, Elenda. Yeah, you can. Because I couldn't. Oh, oh yeah, that's still there. Right, good morning, everyone. Uh, really touched by the songs this morning, especially the bit where it says, God's glory is hidden in creation, but revealed in Christ. Anyway, that was something that touched my heart, and I hope that his glory will be revealed in Christ to you this morning through my message. So um, the title of my message today is, If God is good, why does he condemn people to hell? So what about judgment? So the heart of this question is the idea or belief that a God who sends people to hell cannot be good or loving at the same time. That a good God wouldn't send people to hell. The Bible portrays God as a good God, as a loving God, but also as a judge. And it is in this role as a judge, he exercises his judgment to determine who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Now, if we see God as a God whose goodness only extends to some area of our lives, and we are not very confident whether his goodness will be evident even in his judgment over us, then we will see, end up seeing God as a God who is unfair as a, ju- as a judge or harsh in his judgment towards us. And this often results in a poor image of God and a poor image of ourselves and a poor relationship with God. Now, God's judgment may be something that we don't talk about. Maybe it's because we're not very sure about it or the thought of it fills us with dread. Um, Or maybe because we're not even aware that there is a day called Judgment Day. So this morning, we're going to look at how God's goodness extends to every area of our lives, even when it comes to his eternal judgment over us. And I hope that you're prompted to follow God or make a decision to follow God because you're touched by his love and mercy towards you, rather than the prospect of hell and judgment. So let's begin by looking at some of the Bible verses that talk about God's goodness. Psalms 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and he has mercy over every all that he has made. This is just a verse saying that he's impartial and his goodness extends to all of his creation. And note the word mercy, because that's what we're going to focus on. Psalms 107 one says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. So God is steadfast, he's consistent, he's unchanging. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. God is good, because when we call upon him, he answers us and he protects us. Psalms 86 verse 5 says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. God is good because God is forgiving. Why do we need forgiving? Why does God forgive? Psalms 136.15 says, Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Now, if you're going to talk about judgment, we're going to have to look at the topic of hell. And the word hell is sometimes used by people in their conversations, as in, who the hell are you? Tell him to go to hell and never come back. Let's get the hell out of this place. It scares the hell out of me. 
what the hell happened to you? The Bible, however, uses the word hell to mean a place, a realm, without the presence of God. And Jesus spoke about hell than any other biblical figure. And hell is described in the Bible in many ways. It's described in Matthew as a place of, as a fiery furnace, as a place of unquenchable fire, a place of condemnation, in Revelations as a place of no rest, and Thessalonians as separation from God's presence. So we know in the beginning of creation, when God created everything, it says God created everything, and it was very good. But we know that we don't see evidence of that all around us, and sin and evil is rampant. So what happened to this very good world? The Bible talks in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 that the supreme or the prime angel, Lucifer, uh, began to rebel against God. He was filled with pride, and he wanted to be like God. And God, in his judgment... Um, um, sent, um, made in his judgment, said that the, that the devil would be ending up in hell one day. So it goes on to say, in Matthew 25, Jesus said, then he said to those on the left, left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And in Revelations it says, and the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. So God condemned the devil to hell because he rebelled against God. So it is a place of judgment, actually, reserved by God for Satan and for those who rebel against him. So where does that leave us, humanity? Will some of, be, some of us be judged to this place of eternal separation from God? The best way to reconcile this dilemma as to why a loving God would send people to hell is to look deeper into the character of God. For the Bible shows us that this loving God is also a God who is holy. So 1 Samuel 2 says, There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. Isaiah 6 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Habakkuk 1.13, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Which means God's holiness cannot allow sin or evil in his presence. God's holiness means he's opposed to all sin. So then what is sin? Sin is essentially rebellion or wrongdoing against God. Sin is the pride that asserts that we can live independent of God. So that's what Satan did. In this respect, the Bible says that all men, without exception, have sinned, Romans 3.23. And the justice of God demands that sin ought to be dealt with. And according to Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So God is therefore utterly just in condemning all men to death because all have sinned. But there is good news. There is good, good, good news. And the good news is that this very good, very pure, and very just God, that out of his great love for us, made a way so that you and I, although deserving of hell, in fact, have been given the promise of heaven. We have been given the promise of life rather than death. So we really ought to be also asking this question, why does a just God offer us heaven? Why does he do this? How does he do this? 
through the cross. It was at the cross God's perfect love and justice was met. And when I look at the cross, to me, it is a game changer. The cross has shown that he has done everything in his power to save us because he loves us. But he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. And this is the reason why Jesus Christ came to earth, to die for the sins of the world. Jesus would pay the penalty for our sins so that we might live. I want to ask you this question. Um, I mean, how many of you know John 3.16, the verse? Um, most of us know. I don't know if you know John 15, though. So I'm going to just look at that verse. John 3.14 to 16 says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so that the Son of Man may be lifted up, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life, so that anyone who believes may have eternal life, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I just wanted to focus on the word soul. Uh, it doesn't mean that he loved us so much and that's why he gave his son. We need to look at the verse about because it talks about Moses and how Moses lifted the snake in the wilderness. So what actually happened in the Old Testament? The Israelites under the leadership of Moses began to grumble and murmur and that made God angry. And so there were a lot of snakes that were released in the wilderness where they were, and many of them got bitten by the snake and they died. And then they began to get scared and went to Moses and said, please, could you pray? Pray that God will take away these snakes. But what God, in answer to that, said, no, you need to have a golden uh, snake on a pole, and whoever looks to that snake will, uh, will live in case they get bitten. So what God was trying to say here is that sin cannot be left unpunished. The consequences of sin is death. So he was not going to remove the snakes away. People who get bitten by snakes will die. But the promise is, the salvation is in looking up to that snake on the bronze pole. So in the same way, Jesus Christ was given for us just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness so that he so loved the world just like that, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So God does not want anyone to go to hell. In fact, 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. This is actually in relation to sometimes people keep asking, when, Lord, when are you going to come? There's a lot of evil. And, you know, your second coming, uh, when you come again, everything will be stopped. But it says he's not slack concerning his promise, but he's long-suffering. He's patient because there are lots of people out there who still need to hear the word, who need to hear about Christ. He is not willing that any shall perish, but that all should come to repentance. So in our moral um, or world system of justice, it would be wrong for a judge to set the guilty go free. And so when you look at God, it feels like the perfect judge has actually allowed us, the guilty, to go free. But we need to remember that he didn't forego those charges against man, nor did he change his standard of righteousness. In fact, he poured out the full measure of his righteous wrath upon his son on the cross so that all of those who trust in Jesus' death for them have their sins forgiven because Jesus paid the full price. So there are those who will deliberately and consciously reject this offer. And if those who reject this offer, his goodness, his mercy, his salvation plan, 
would end up paying the penalty for their sins because they refused the payment Jesus made in their place. So they have thus willingly chosen the consequence of their choice, to be separated from God. You need to remember the judgment of hell is only the last resort because God's greatest desire is to save us. And those who reject the saving plan won't get to spend eternity with him. It will be because of our own deliberate choice that we will be in heaven or hell. So I, I wanted to look at why somebody would reject such a beautiful offer of freedom concerning their eternity. And there are the three verses I can, I, I can look at to help us better understand what is it that stands in the way. Of, I mean, this is just one explanation as to why people would reject it. In the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, one of the verses, Beatitudes, it means the supreme blessedness of somebody who you know, listens to what God says. And what Jesus was saying was, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what it's saying here is that for those who recognize that there is a poverty in their spirit, that by themselves they're not able to be saved, that they need God to save them. If they recognize their sinfulness and their poverty, they are blessed because they're calling upon the only one who can save them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. There has to be a recognition of our own depravity and of our own sin for us to call out to God and call out for his help. So unless we see ourselves in the light of our sin, we can't actually begin to see our need for God. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet who had a vision of God. And during this vision, he had an encounter of God's holiness. Um, and uh, he did say, depart from me because I'm a man of unclean lips. And um, it's in that encounter of being in, in the presence of God's holiness that he was able to see himself in, the, he was able to see his sin in the light of God's holiness. And again, for me, it felt like, you know, we need to have that consciousness or ask God his mercy that we might be able to see our sin in the light of his holiness. And this uh, this particular passage from Luke chapter 5 uh, was, again, very touching when I read it. In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 8, what has happened is um, Peter, one of the disciples, a fisherman, he was, they were trying to catch fish, but to no success. And so Jesus appears and says, well, you need to cast your net on this side. Um, and when they did so, you know, it was a large catch of fish. And Jesus, uh, and when Peter saw what happened, he says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And it's, it's amazing because most of the time when we pray to God, we want success. And you see that suddenly you pray to God and, you know, things change. And you're just like, oh, follow God and, you know, to the end. But for Peter, it was different. It was like he came face to face with his own lack. And he actually had to say, God, you have to, I can't be in your presence. Go away from me. But the good news is God reinstated him and called him to be a fisher of men. So in conclusion, the judgment of... God's wrath is upon those who reject God's love. Those who do spend eternity do so, separated forever from God and his goodness. It is God's desire for everyone to come to him by faith and receive the salvation he offers. Therefore, God's attributes are complementary and not contradictory. I need to go to a, a few other topics. Um, one of them is, so what about those who haven't heard? What about babies who die? What about your loved ones who have never heard of the gospel? Or for those who are unable to make a decision because of disabilities? 
I will say that there are no specific verses to answer each of this, but I know from Scripture, looking at the whole counsel of God, looking at how God has made his judgment, looking at how he has done everything to save mankind, I have to trust that God is just and that he is good and there is a way out there. I personally trust that God is merciful and his judgment is rooted in his goodness and so his love will also reach out to them. But there are some verses I thought I would just give, bring up just to show how God's mercy is expressed towards those unable to make these decisions. It's just something that I explored um, and so it's up to you but like I said, I believe in God's goodness. Now, Deuteronomy 1.39, it's the Old Testament uh, book where um, the Israelites had to go into the promised land. But it says here, And the little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from, ban, good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them. And there was an, um, it's an acknowledgement that people don't have that capacity sometimes, but God has been merciful in this instance. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, and that's the story of David after he had committed adultery, um, God had pronounced his judgment that the child that would be born would die. And, God, and David did his best to plead and to pray and to fast, but uh, the judgment was final. And so after the son died, um, David then made the statement that um, my son won't be able to come back to me, but I know that I will see my son in the afterlife. So I'm just giving, bringing out two verses just to show from Scripture how, you know, situations were dealt with. Now, in order to know, yes, the Bible is very clear that salvation is through Jesus alone by faith. We've also seen how in certain instances we're not sure how that comes about. Um, when Jesus left this earth, he gave us this great commission to commit ourselves to being his disciples. And as part of that commitment, we as Christians would have to go and speak about the gospel to those in this world, to all of his creation. So Mark 16, 15 says, to go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. In Romans it says, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear? without someone preaching to them. So we do have a responsibility um, in spreading the good news. Um, even in Romans it says, sometimes um, God makes himself known through uh, creation. I mean, we saw in the song today how his glory, though hidden in creation, is revealed in Christ. And sometimes it may be just that your God speaks to you through creation and he's prompting you to discover and seek him more. And the Bible also talks in Romans about how even through our conscience, that knowledge of good and bad is there because we are made in his image. And there are ways by which God is prompting and drawing us to him. So even we know quite often that in the Muslim world, many of them have a revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's that's, that's how they come to know of Christ. So various ways that we see how God is doing everything in his effort to save us. And he does it in various ways and prompts us so that salvation is received through Jesus and Jesus alone. Um, I just wanted to share a little bit about my own personal um, prayer time in terms of praying for my loved ones. Um, I think there are people God has laid on my heart and, uh, you know, loved ones are somebody that will always be on your heart and you want them to know the Lord and um, in one of my prayer times I was reading from Joshua 2.13 so it's a story of um, 
the Israelites under the leadership of Moses, and they had to enter Jericho. And in order to enter this place, Rahab was a prostitute who was living in the outskirts of the city. So in order to enter Jericho, you go through her sort of house, and you know, she would be able to give access into the city. Um, Rahab was not a Jew. She was a Gentile, but she had heard about uh, the Jewish God. And um, something in her uh, prompted her to put her faith in this Jewish God. And so she tells uh, Joshua and those under him, you know, I'll help you. I'll help you to get access into Jericho. But um, I want you to give me a promise. And this is what she says. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. For me, as I was praying, it was like I could, I could pray for those loved ones in my family. And I say, God... As I pray for them, I can only pray that in your great love and mercy that you will save those ones who are on my heart, just like Rahab had that prayer for her loved ones. So in conclusion, we see that God has made everything possible to save us. And I don't know if today, if um, you're unsure about you know, your eternal state, if you're unsure about God's love for you, I don't know if you're hearing him talking to you today. And I would urge you to receive Jesus because in so doing, by faith, you receive life instead of death. Thanks. I actually shared this with our community this week, Love Dig community, uh, on Thursday. And uh, I was driving back from Oxford. I've just been to Oxford for meeting and uh, I was actually decided to go home down via the um uh can't remember the, the villages now anyway <laughs> Garsington yes yeah yeah uh anyway so uh there's some other villages I can't remember now the name of but Garsington is a village on the left hand side as you're driving back down towards coming towards Didcot and I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me say just take time out Paul just take a little bit of time out just to be with me. And uh, so I went, I turned left off the road and uh, I could see immediately, I had to wait for some cars passing and I could, my eyes straight away caught a church on the hill. And uh, so I thought, oh, I think I'll go there. <laughs> Feeling a little bit, I'm not sure what God is saying, but I will do this. And as I got there and I parked up and then I walked to the church and then out the back, the the hill that the church was on, I could see so much of Oxfordshire. It was a beautiful, beautiful view. And at that moment, the sun came out and the light was huge. And it was just a sense of God's presence massively with me in that moment, which reminded me of uh, the verse in uh, Matthew uh, about the city. I'm trying to remember it now. Chapter 6, that's the one. Thank you, Naomi. I've been following Elenza's uh, Bible notes, so I'd lost my, my place. <laughs> yes. And uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and uh, he says to them, um, you are the light of the world. And uh, it says, a city on a hill. I'm just trying to find it now. Anyway, God calls us to be a, a light 
in our in our world that we are in and i was just really touched by the fact that um the church was on that hill looking out onto the county of oxfordshire and we as a church are called to be light god gives us that gift uh, of jesus his son uh, who gives us his light to shine in the world around us so as we go about in our daily lives in our various workplaces uh, and uh, in our various school places on the school run or whatever it might be uh, in our family lives as well god calls us to be light and uh, no no i don't think it's chapter six no yeah chapter five there we go verse 14 thank you thank you Anyway, it was just a real sense of calling us as a church to be that light in our community. Thank you, Paul. So I think there's a number of things for us to reflect on here. You know, I think just the amazing mercy and grace of our Lord, but also what Alenza was saying about, you know, um, the call on us to, to share um, the good news about Jesus. This is the rescue plan and people need to know what that plan is and, um, you know, God gave Paul that verse. He'd given me that verse for this morning as well, which is why I did this firework thing about about us being a light in the darkness. So let's just spend um, the remaining few minutes that we've got in quiet prayer and reflection um, and just talk to God about what he's saying to you, really, um, out of all that Alenza's shared and that Paul has shared. And um, Lizzie, perhaps you could play some gentle music in the background as we pray so let's let's pray